my name is Carrie Lambert, and uh, my other partner has gone to the washroom. You may know him. His name is Chris Scott. He's from the Whistle Stop Cafe. Yeah, yeah, sure. Applaud for him, not for me. I know where your, I know where your allegiances are already, guys. Okay. So I was asked if we could come out and do a Chris and Carrie show, and if you ever seen us on live, we do absolutely nothing rehearsed. We don't even know what we're saying one moment to the next, so it's even better when Chris is here because at least then I can slam him for everything that he's saying. <laughs> but in the meantime, while we're waiting for Chris to get back, um, I think what we'll do is we might as well get right into the speakers because I know uh, a few people have to leave and a few people are just wimpy and they can't stand out in the cold, so including myself. So at this time, I would like to introduce everybody if they don't know who he is. This is Mr. Justice Center for, for, for help me out here, JCCF, please. Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I knew what it was. I was testing you guys. Mr. John Carpe, please. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you very much for uh, the invitation to join you this morning. I'm able to come in briefly. I've got to be back at the office to record a podcast at 2 o'clock, so I'm not able to stay for too long. Um, but my thanks to the organizers. Thank you for the invitation to be with you. It is a great honor. I've said many times in the last two and a half years that the virtue we need to cultivate is perseverance because quitters never win and winners never quit. And so, this battle is far from over, and uh, this virtue of perseverance that we have to cultivate, we're seeing one example of it right now with the inquiry. So we've had horrific human rights abuses in Canada with the vaccine passports, mandatory vaccination policies, the people expelled from university and fired from their jobs, the peaceful protesters ruthlessly crushed by violence, by police on horses that would trample an elderly lady when the government had many law enforcement tools that it could have used, issuing parking tickets, calling tow trucks, etc., etc., did not use the tools that were available to it and instead chose violence and force to trample on the charter freedoms of Canadians. So we've had some rough times behind our backs, but this inquiry is a cause for optimism. It's easy for politicians and chief medical officers to just walk away from a news conference and say, thank you very much folks, no more questions, that's all for today. But in this inquiry, uh, after you've presented your testimony, you're gonna be cross-examined by Justice Center lawyers who are going to help to bring out that truth. And so I'm very grateful, thank you. I'm very grateful for the, the support from thousands of Canadians from coast to coast. Uh, the Justice Centre has full standing at this inquiry, so we can put forward evidence and we can cross-examine witnesses. We have seven lawyers present. We've got four staff lawyers, uh, some of them full-time, some of them part-time on this inquiry, and three outside counsel that we are funding in whole or in part. And so thanks to the generosity of donors, we've got the seven lawyers there to help the truckers to put their case forward and to cross-examine the likes of uh, the Mayor of Ottawa. And coming up soon, we'll be cross-examining the Prime Minister as well. 
going to we're going to win this battle to restore our charter rights and freedoms and that's because truth will always vanquish the lie how many people remember a year and a half ago when it was an absolute fact a fact that could not be questioned that these vaccines stop the spread that's right you remember that and we recently uh, in the european parliament a dutch member of parliament uh, a dutch member of the european parliament cross-examining Pfizer CEO, did you test whether this would stop the transmission? And you know, oh, of course not. We're moving at the speed of science, <laughs> which means no science and moving with speed. And even here in Canada, it was the same lie, oh, the vaccine stops the spread. And so we had everybody get on this bandwagon. We have to start discriminating against anybody that's not willing to get injected with the substance for which there's no long-term safety testing. And we, we need to persecute these people these misogynist, racist, anti-science, et cetera, et cetera. But now, here we are a year and a half later, and with a few exceptions, pretty much everybody recognizes the fact that the, the vaccines do not stop the spread. So that's an example of the truth coming out. It just takes time. How does it happen? It happens through a lot of hard work and boring work. It happens with people doing important things like uh, distributing pamphlets and flyers and newspapers and getting the word out, and the tide is turning. Uh, we used to have maybe two-thirds of the population in a state of complete terror, and now that's down to uh, a third or a quarter or a fifth or a sixth, and the numbers of people that are terrified is getting smaller and smaller, and the number of people that are open to discussion and dialogue and hearing the truth and learning about the truth is growing every day. So we have to keep on keeping on with the perseverance. We did suffer a setback two days ago in the Brian Peckford action. Uh, the federal government brought forward an application for mootness and the federal government is arguing that our charter rights and freedoms are kind of like a light switch and the government can just switch them off whenever it wants. And then when the government gets sued and gets embarrassed by the testimony of its own officials, who admit under oath that there's no medicine or science to justify banning unvaccinated people from getting onto airplanes and they get embarrassed and then they want to flick the switch again and go oh you got your rights and freedoms back again so court action go away now sadly the the lower court judge the trial judge bought into this argument but it's completely unreasonable government should not be able to flick off our rights and freedoms like a light switch on off on off on off and then just simply turn the rights and freedoms back on when they get sued without being held to account. So we're taking this to the Court of Appeal. In the interim, we don't yet have the precedents that we are looking for, but we will get them because the facts on the ground are changing. The science, true science, is always changing. It's not some monolithic dogma. And so as the facts change on the ground, the Justice Center will continue to bring forward court actions, and we will get those precedents to get our freedoms back. It's a matter of time and effort and energy, but we will get them back. In the interim, the court actions are having a huge impact because we are forcing the governments to come into court and to show the whole world just how little persuasive evidence they have to back up their repressive and tyrannical measures. So that's an important part. Even though we don't yet have those precedents, we are holding the governments to account. 
And it's through these court actions that we are exposing the government's lies. Uh, we saw this in the Brian Peckford action with the admission that there's no science to back up the travel mandates. Uh, we've seen it in our court actions in BC and Saskatchewan where it come, the government has to admit that peaceful outdoor rallies do not transmit COVID. So that, that's obvious. It was, it was obvious already, but it's good to have that come out in a court proceeding as well. Uh, in the Manitoba case, uh, which is now before the, we lost the trial, it's before the Manitoba Court of Appeal, there's a government official admitted under oath that when the Manitoba government was fear-mongering about all of these so-called cases, they actually knew that for every thousand cases, 560 of those people did not have COVID. And they knew that, and they were lying to the public. How did this get exposed? Through the court action. So again, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for the invitation to speak. Uh, for those of you that are donating to the Justice Center, thank you very much for that support. And um, we, know, we know that it's better to die standing than to live on our knees. We're not going to live on our knees. We'd rather die standing. We're going to win this battle because in the end, truth always vanquishes the lie. Freedom triumphs over tyranny and justice will triumph over injustice. Thank you. Thank you, John. I'm going to lower that down a bit. That was excellent. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now with, uh, with the whole vaccine thing. So here's a story I gotta, gotta tell you. So this weekend, you may know how this story ends. This weekend I was supposed to go to Vegas. The end. So even though everyone out there, and including the media says, well, I don't know what the argument is, but nothing's going on. Like, you guys have all your mandates back. I can't go to the States. Oh, but that's a states thing. That's, you know, that's not Canada. You can't do that. So I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm an actor. I guess I'm an out-of-work actor. And uh, I wanted to read you. I literally got this from my agent, uh, like, well, an hour ago. And, uh, and it just goes to show, Hi, I need union members to be working on Fargo on Wednesday next week. COVID test between 8 and noon. Uh, shoot in Calgary, are you available? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, have I already been booked on the show already? No. Uh, people need to be at least triple vaccinated for the show. So that is that one. There's also another movie that's being shot here uh, sometime this month, and it's with Adam Sandler's production, uh, Happy Madison. Uh, and I guess I won't be working on that one either. So there, there is this uh, stigma, I guess, of people that are certainly... Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of group certain people together, and I, I apologize if, uh, if anybody is part of that. But I'm going to say the arts community, because I'm actually part of the arts community as well. Working in theater, working in that uh, production, uh, whether you're a cast or crew or anything like that, they were the first ones without a job. So back in January of 2021, they were the ones that first stepped up and got the job, right? And then they were immediately getting the second one because they thought that's what would get them their job. So I know one musician right now that is vaccine injured and he can no longer play his guitar. I also know a couple of, uh, a couple of other musicians that just happen to be so frustrated with the whole system that's going on right now that they are down the street at the Hyatt if anybody knows what's going on over there, that's the NDP convention. 
they are saying, you know what, I'd much rather take socialism to Marxism than what we are currently going through to, right? So there you go. I'm sure we'll have lots more to talk about, but right now I'd like to call upon Tanner Nadei. I'm not sure if Tanner, uh, is Hunter coming up with you or not? So I'm not even sure what to call you anymore. You're just an amazing economist, uh, such a brilliant mind, and he's going to give you some, uh, some good old... Oh, there's Hunter. There's Hunter. He's kind of high. Please welcome Hunter, uh, Tanner Nadei, please. Well, thank you all so much for joining us on this uh, chilly October morning. And although it's cold, I do not suspect it will be as cold as it would be if we had no oil and gas. So, <laughs> something to remember. So we're standing outside of a courthouse, or near a courthouse, and it represents the rule of law. It's a foundation and a pillar of society. Standing opposite of it is progressivism, and it presents the rule of law. Everything wrong is being made right, and everything right is being made wrong. Up is down, and left is right. War is peace. Ignorance is strength. Right? You see all of these things. Freedom is slavery. That's a great book, 1984. And so you have these two, this dichotomy of a rule of law, the courthouse, and a rule that presents law. Progressivism, the mob, that's a good way of putting it. Mob consensus. Now when you realize that this is occurring, you see that although men and women in university will say we're living in modern times, we're not. We're living in biblical times. Because you read in the book of Judges, in chapter 21, verse 25, at the end of the book of Judges, that every man was doing what was right in his own eye. That's happening today. Everyone. Or the majority of the, the progressives do what is right in their own eye. That's the bane of society today. But they still decide that something's right. They still do things. And so the question is, how do they decide? How do they choose what to do? Now, you and I might say, well, they could appeal to natural law. There is this law that's self-evident. You know it, then I know it to be true. Murder is wrong. Lying is wrong theft is wrong, etc. But the progressive can't do that. He can't appeal to natural law because he seeks to make everything which is natural, unnatural. And he seeks to make everything which is unnatural, natural. We see this, in my opinion, most clearly with the exponential increase in the sexualization of children. Yes. The drag queens reading stories, whatever stories they might be, wicked and evil that they might be, the children in libraries. But you can see this all over. The embrace of socialism as unnatural, it disregards the rights of man. What we saw over these last two years was unnatural. It disregarded man. And so the progressive cannot appeal to natural law to tell him what is right and what is wrong. So he decides to go for something more base more instinct, more emotional. He tells you to tolerate what he's doing because it makes him feel good. He tells you to accept what he's doing. He tells you to live with it, to love it actually, because it makes him feel a certain way. You can look at this in school. There are individuals in school who now wish to be classified, as you know, as feline. 
and you are not to tell them that they're not feline because they don't feel good. It doesn't make them feel so accepted, so happy, so loved. If you don't declare them what they demand that you declare them to be. You must tolerate his choices because it makes him feel a certain way. His instincts, his emotions are supreme and you must obey. And again, we saw this over the last two years. Mankind has an instinct for safety. And according to the progressives, that instinct superseded your instinct and mine for freedom. And of course it was a false safety, but that's beside the point. The reality is the progressives said that safety, your neighbor's safety, etc., justified locking you in your homes, shutting down your jobs or your businesses, putting you out of work, continued discrimination, and so on. Because their instinct, their desire, their base appetite for safety was greater than our base appetite, our base desire for freedom. But even animals have instincts. We're not the only ones with instincts, right? The lion has an instinct. The alpha of a pride has an instinct to preserve his lineage and posterity. And so what he does is he kills all of the cubs that are not his own. You look at an owl. If an owl cannot feed one of her young, she'll let it starve. She has an instinct to see one of her young survive so that her lineage might continue on. What I'm saying is those animals have instincts, but they do not have a law. Those animals have emotions, they have desires, they have this instinctual, for example, appetite to hunt or desire to make a nest, whatever they might be. And that determines what they do. Right and wrong are without meaning in the animal kingdom because they have no law. All they have is instinct. But that's exactly what's happening here with the progressive movement. By appealing only to instinct, to their base emotions, by rejecting the rule of law itself, they're transforming the society into an animal kingdom. You see, it's a loss of humanity. But still they have a problem, right? Because they still decided that their appetite for safety was greater than our desire for freedom. So how can they enforce that? You know, and I know, they used government. So government decided, Mr. Trudeau decided, our provincial government decided that they were the law. Lockdown here, a restriction there, more restrictions there, not because it's justifiable, not because it's justifiable under the law, but because I am who I am. That was the justification. Like an idol, they took the verse from Exodus, as you know, and they transformed themselves into gods. So we have an instinct, and the individuals and government said, I'll decide which instinct is supreme. In this case, over the last two years, at least this was their public justification, the instinct for safety was supreme. And so we suffered through a loss of restriction of freedom. But even this collapses in on itself because who is government made up of, if not individuals like you and me? Maybe worse than you and me. Maybe not, maybe. So what you realize is that if government really is the giver and maker of law, 
All it means is that humans, individuals, are the givers and makers of law. And if that's true, their instincts and emotions are the givers and makers of law. You see how it logically collapses in on itself. Instinct is telling the other instinct which instinct is supreme. It doesn't make sense. Right, and so they use force to, to influence it and to impose it upon the society. What you therefore realize is that if you try and conquer human nature, if you say the nature of man over the last 2,000, 6,000, however long, many years, the nature of man to understand the objective law, to understand a self-evident law, if you try and conquer that and progress beyond it, move beyond it, what you realize is that it's not so much that you have conquered human nature, it's that the base human nature has conquered you. And we're left with a society where the progressive can do whatever he wills. What is the solution to this? I am here to talk to you today to tell you that the solution to this problem, to progressivism, is the protection, the defense, the foundation of the supremacy of God. You need that for a society. That's right. The supremacy of God is foundational to society. The standard, he is the standard. What you have when you have the supremacy of God, I believe it because I'm a Christian, but I also believe it because it keeps the society from going insane. You have something greater than man outside the system that tells him, you, me, the whole city, the whole country, when your instincts and your emotions are congruent with reality and when they're not. There are times when the instinct of safety is a wrong one to invoke, like when you're in the middle of a battle. There are wrong times, or there are times when it's wrong to invoke an instinct of, say, run away. Like when an invader has, is trying to harm your family. There are times when the instinct of freedom supersedes the desire for safety. But the only way we know when that is, is to appeal to a foundation, to the supremacy of God. And so if the society returns to that, because we know our governments do not believe it, though it is in the Constitution in the preamble, certainly Mr. Trudeau completely disregards it. He sees himself to be God. <laughs> If the society returns to that, it will return to a rule of law, which has been sorely lacking over these last two years. That's why we're so grateful for the JCCF and other organizations of the kind. And so if you have the supremacy of God, you have the rule of law. One does not exist without the other. Without him, without the supremacy of God, you realize we transform not into modern men, but into primal ones. We transform our world not into a world where we are humans, but where we live in a world devoid of our humanity. So thank you for allowing me to speak today. I'm sorry I have to leave because uh, my, my mom's birthday. And so yes, thank you. Pleasure. Freedom. Thank you very much, Tanner. Um, what is your social media, Tanner? Is it just TannerInTheDay.com? 
Just and then uh, you spell the last name H N I D E Y. There you go, Tanner Hennedy. It's like that, just like that. Perfect. Thank you so much. We're also broadcasting this on uh, on Freedom Freedom Canada, I believe Freedom for Canada. Please share and uh, send this out and get the word out. This is not what you hear on mainstream media. We are not CBC. We are not any of that uh, crap acronym type of stuff. This is where you get the real news, people. This is where you get the real news. So right now, I'd like to call upon uh, Manuel, and uh, he's going to come up and uh, tell a bit of a story, too. And then I believe Chris, who I actually see here. Are you all done going to Washington? You're all good now? No, I'm still going. You're still going right now? I can tell. <laughs> all right, we'll get back to that in a minute. I thought you were supposed to be up there with them. So my name is Manuel, and uh, I'm here to bring to your attention the Independence Party of Alberta, and, and the very important role the party can play in the lives of Albertans in the near future. The Independence Party is a grassroots party uh, established by and led by Albertans. The party was established to provide a real opposition and real alternative to mainstream parties like the UCP, formerly Jason Kenney, now Danielle Smith. Under the UCP, people who peacefully protested and pastors who continued to hold church services and dared to keep their churches and businesses open were imprisoned and heavily fined. Albertans must not forget the tyranny and brutal treatment by the police of peaceful protesters and pastors that was abundant during this time. My wife and I experienced this brutality on December 22nd, 2021, while we were at Schaffer's Drug Mart defending our pastor. My wife was arrested, handcuffed, and frisked by two separate police officers and fined $4,800. I was assaulted and pushed backwards against the concrete of the building while I was asking about why they were arresting my wife. I was standing with my hands in my pockets the entire time. I was also fined $500. This is brutal treatment of peaceful citizens by so-called uh, peace officers. That's what the police, many of them now call themselves as peace officers. Many families were denied access to loved ones who during this painful time died alone in hospitals or care facilities due to isolation and loneliness and or medical intervention. This should never happen again. With regard to businesses, 
Albertans who suffered under the mandates were coerced into following Alberta Health Services orders. The people followed the mandates to keep their jobs and feed their families. But there were many who lost their businesses and their jobs and others who were shut down and lost everything. These mandates were not laws and it all happened under the leadership of Jason Kenney of the UCP party. This must never happen again. Under the interim leadership of Danielle Smith or possibly Rachel Notley of the NDP, Alberta would suffer economic disasters as we have experienced previously under the NDP leadership. Will anything be different? Should we expect anything different from Danielle Smith or Rachel Nolly? Albertans know the real answer to this question. And it is a resounding no. Those who have lived under the leadership of these two know what they're, what they're not, that they're not for us. They will always do what they've always done. Snakes, vipers, or scorpions are all the same. They'll always bite you when you least expect it. So let's not repeat history. It's time for change. Let's change this province and its course once and for all. Let's bring God back to churches, to schools, to courts. Let's elect a political party that is for the people and by the people. Almost done. Alberta is a freedom-loving province. We are a people driven by small-town principles, and we are ready to reach out to our neighbors and help each other. We believe in God, and in God we trust. We respect authority, but we despise authoritarianism, communism, and segregation. Under the leadership of Archer Pawlowski, the party intends to run candidates in, write, in writings throughout Alberta to take our province back. To have a strong group of candidates who will demand a fair and equitable deal similar to the deal Quebec negotiated with Ottawa and the federal government. We are not primarily seeking a real separation from Canada, but we are prepared to consider separation to give our province a fair deal in the transfer payments Alberta makes to Ottawa. For the Independence Party to really have an impact on politics in Alberta, it needs to eventually recruit and elect 12 to 20 strong, and godly and righteous candidates throughout Alberta who will speak and govern on our behalf. The immediate goal of the party is to sign up 20,000 members between now and May 2023. If we can reach the goal, the party can become the official opposition of the Alberta government and have a voice in political debates in the legislature. In closing, we need all of you. All of you who have not yet signed up, please sign up and join the Alberta Independence Party today. Fill out the form. We have the forms here if you want to fill it out today. We have them here. So please fill out the forms and register now. Or you can sign up online at www.abindependence.com.
The cost to sign up is $20 for a three-year membership. Let's support the party and Pastor Pavlovsky, who has been fighting this injustice along with, his freedom, with us freedom fighters from the beginning. Join us today. Please let's all do this now. Let's not forget that we the people have the power to make the change and we the people have our God-given rights to freedom, liberty, and religion. Thank you and God bless. Quickly, we also have a two-page description of what the platform of the Independence Party is about. So we have a very limited number. Some of you, if you like this two-page um, description of what the party is about, we have some we can give them to you, but you'll also be able to find it online. Thank you so much. Again, I urge you to really consider this as an Albertan. You must do this, and we must all do this. Thank you. God bless. Thanks, Manuel. It's amazing how many people that I've talked to in the last little while that j they just don't like politics. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't care about politics. Politics just... Well, the problem is, is that if you take that attitude, we're going to be right back to where we are right now. Canadians as a whole, and I'll be one to admit it, have been apathetic in the way they've been dealing with politics. It has nothing to do with us. We'll just let it go. It'll run itself. Well, it's not going to do that. So, we do have a multiple party system here in Alberta, despite the fact that uh, mainstream media will just tell you we have two parties. There are a lot of independence-minded uh, parties. Please do check them out for yourselves. abindependence.com for the Independence Party. And, uh, and I'm, I'm basically just going to come out and say it, that I'm involved with the Independence Party. I don't know if you know that. I'm involved with it. And I will be running for an MLA position come May. I am. Yes. We have to figure out exactly where I'm going to be, but uh, yeah, that's that's a big announcement thing. Yeah. Well, I figured I'd do it here. So, there you go. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to shoot myself in the head after too. So just don't. So right now, I'd like to call upon Dominique uh, Fournier, who I believe is going to be talking about notices of liability. That's something that, uh, so I was just briefly talking about uh, the arts community and, and dealing with uh, not being able to get on shows. And uh, so Dominique and I are actually going to have a conversation. We've already had one. But essentially I want to give my agent and my casting director and actor, which is part of what I deal with, a notice of liability so that they understand exactly what they're forcing people to do. So in the meantime, this is Dominique. Thank you. I, talking to something just standing there makes me feel weird. Thanks, Carrie. Congratulations. Wow. Way to keep a secret. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, I, I think I've seen a lot of your faces before, and I'm really honored to be invited back to speak to you a little bit today about something I think I spoke to you all about um, a couple of months ago, or at least about a month or so ago. And that is notices of, I just got two fingers, so I'm saying two months ago. Um, and before I start, I just wanted to say something about the arts community quickly, because Carrie's mentioned this twice. I have a sister 
who has been working in the arts community for the last 40 years. I'm dating myself, probably longer. Uh, and she's out in Quebec, Montreal. And one of the things that has been really striking is that, I don't know about you guys, but when we think of artists, usually we think of people who, you know, they don't conform to what the government tells them to do. Typically they're, you know, they're rebels, and they're people who think outside the box and question a lot. And I know my sister was very much like that. And what hit her is that when all of this happened, she found herself at odds with 90% of the art community out in Quebec. People that had been her sisters and, you know, for lack of a better word, compatriots in the art community. They had lofts together, they had spaces together, they performed together. All of a sudden now, she wasn't invited anymore because she was persona non grata. Why? Because she chose to make a personal decision about what she was going to inject or not inject into her body. Not that it was any of their business, but they made it her business by asking her if she had. Now what is that all about? The arts community, right? Those people who told us that we needed to question. Well, yeah, but that CBC is not an arts community. You know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So today I'm going to talk to you, like uh, Carrie said, uh, a little bit about um, NOLs again, and I'm going to introduce you to, and I'll give you a brief little show here. This is our good friend Jane Does, and I'll explain to you a little bit about her name and the play on words, but I, I'm sure most of you will figure it out without me having to explain it. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this bizarre journey that I've been on with all of you guys over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, before this all started, I was already at a point in my life, you know, I was closer to 60 than 50, trying to figure out how I was going to make it through life because I found myself going through some major changes. And I, need to, I needed to think about how I was going to support my family and, and just keep my head on straight because it was kind of crazy. And so I decided, as all intelligent, rational people do when you're nearing 60, to go out and um, get a degree. Right? I, I was going to go to school and, uh, and educate, educate myself. And I ended up going into, of all fields, counseling psychology. Now, at first glance, you think, what would you do that for? They're all just a little crazy. And you know what? They kind of are. But there's this theory called, know thine enemy. And honest to goodness, that's what happened. I actually learned a lot about why we are where we are right now. Um, because we have this entire field trying to tell us that using our, la our rational mind is actually kind of crazy. Um, learning how to think for ourselves is really not very healthy. Um, and ultimately, we need to buy in to all of the theories they're trying to push on us. So it's been a very interesting journey. But the other thing I also learned was, you can teach an old dog new tricks. You really can. Getting older doesn't mean you can't learn, right? And um, at one point, I started talking to my kids one day, and they looked at me and they said, "Mom, stop psychoanalyzing us. We're not we're not your your pet projects." And and I kind of chuckled because I said, "Yeah, I've been doing that your whole lives. I just didn't have a bunch of letters after my name when I was doing it." 
Um, so we can all use our brains, and we should. And the reason why I kind of want it, common sense, well, it's not that common, that's the problem, right? Common sense isn't as common as it should be. So the NOLs come into play because I do think that one of the things that helps us out of all of this is that, and I mentioned this last time I was here, I think we are by nature, and I'm gonna go to a little bit of what Tana was talking about, it's in our nature to do, right? It is in our nature to act. Um, and a lot of times we think, well, you know, I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna mope and I'm gonna be angry and I'm gonna be frustrated and I'm gonna yell at my computer screen and type really hard how angry I am at whatever post I saw. Um, but that's part of how they keep us from actually getting engaged. We need to remove ourselves from those mediums and we need to start acting. And I mean, even things like, you know, most of us when we think of love, right? What is love? Well, love is how we feel about each other, right? Well, I would challenge you that love isn't a passive verb, but it's an active verb. Because you can say, I love you. I really care about you. I want to help you. I want to be there for you. But the love is in the doing. It's in the stepping up, stepping out, and often beyond our comfort zones. And this is where our little Jane in our brochure comes in. Because a lot of us struggle to move outside our comfort zones. We struggle to do things that feel uncomfortable, that feel intimidating, and sometimes that translates to how many of you, when all of the mask nonsense came in, initially put them on because everybody else was wearing them and you didn't want to stand out, right? You, you didn't want to be that odd person out. You didn't want to make people uncomfortable. You didn't want to feel uncomfortable. I remember my young daughter saying to me, Mom, I think this is such a lie, but honestly, I don't want people coming up to me and yelling at me at the store. I really don't. So I'll wear it just to get by. But you know what changed that for? One day I said, let's go to the store together. The two of us. And maybe that'll make you feel a little stronger. So we did. And it was a little easier. Right? And then she started going with her friends. And then eventually, more and more, she'd notice things like when they went two or three of them together, people would pull down their masks. And they'd engage. Right? because they were doing. They weren't talking about doing, they were actually doing. So what Jane invites us all to do is, um, now do you remember the notices of liability that I talked to you guys about the last time I was here? Yeah? Okay. So um, I'll just briefly go over in case anybody's forgotten what an NOL is, right? So in case you've forgotten, it's just very simply a means of informing a person that their actions have consequences and that they can be held liable for harms that come from those actions. So within the NOL, that, um, and I have some copies here if anybody wants to grab one, uh, or, and you know, we print them out. If you want to give a little donation, that's fine. If you don't have it, just take it. That's good too. Uh, so I have some in a bag if you want to come find me afterwards. Um, but within the NOL is something called the definition of informed consent. And who here knows what informed consent means? Art, Roger, you don't get to answer that question. Because <laughs> we have someone here who knows full well what it is. So for those of you who don't know, it's actually a legal principle 
and it is in Canadian law, has been since the 1980s, that says that no one is permitted to force any medical intervention on you. You have the right to say no. Even if it means that intervention is going to save your life, you can say, nope, not going to do it. I, I, you know, the risks are too high. I'd rather live my best life the way it is. I don't want to do it. And you can say, no, we have that legal right. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember the government passing a law nullifying that. Does anybody here remember that happening? Did that happen when I wasn't listening? I, I don't think it did. So that, that legal principle and ethical principle still exists, and it exists in, um, it's an ethical mandate in the College of Physicians and Surgeons, um, the College of Psychologists, Colleges of Pharmacists, all of our professional colleges recognize the principle of informed consent as an ethical requisite. But it suddenly disappeared. So we would like to, and with those NOLs, we would like to remind the people who might have forgotten. They, you know, some people, they studied a long time ago, they've been practicing for a long time, and they forgot. So we're going to remind them. We're going to give them the information they need so that they understand that informed consent is a thing, and that if they deny people the information necessary to make informed consent and force them to do something that legally they cannot, they can be held liable. So it's kind of that foundational step for hopefully one day taking them all to court. Yay! Yay! So one thing that happened at one point, um, this beautiful lady over here, I'd like everybody to give Bridget Blatt a round of applause, please. Because this lady, she likes to hide in the background. She likes not to be seen, so I've decided today I'm outing her. Um, she joined me to serve the town of Okotoks with a notice of liability. And what ended up happening afterwards is a lot of people said, how did you do that? That looks so scary. And you know, were we nervous? I think we were more excited because we really wanted these guys to have a notice of liability. <laughs> But I get it, the first time I served a notice of liability, I was nervous, right? Because, it, like, I didn't, I wasn't, you're not born knowing how to do this. And we, all, we, don't, we don't know what to do, so we're just gonna wing it and hope for the best. Um, but I get it, there's people who wanna serve, and I've had friends who say, yeah, we'd love to serve it, but we don't know what to do. And then, Jane Does was born. So a few of us got together and decided, wouldn't it be cool if we could put together a how to deliver an NOL for dummies? Like me, who was a dummy when I first walked in and kind of stuttered and didn't know what to do. So I'm not trying to offend anybody. Don't get offended. Um, I'm just sharing that if you feel like you can't do this because you don't know what to do, you've never done it before, there are easy steps. So we have these brochures here. Uh, I think Brigitte still has a few. And she actually de delivered, I think, eight NOLs last week to pharmacists in Okotoks. Yeah. Yay, Brigitte, with a group of ladies. So, and there, um, we have some friends out in Nova Scotia who did the same thing last week. They even went to a conference and delivered it there. So part of this is going, you know what, we can do this. 
And you know how I was saying human beings are built to do? There's something incredibly gratifying and inspiring in us when we realize, hey, I did something. And you know, people will say, wow, why are you bothering? They're never gonna go to court, nothing's gonna ever happen, who cares? And my answer is, why not? What do you have to lose? You're providing these people with necessary, valuable, valid information that, you know, benefit of the doubt, some of them may never have seen before, and now they have. But more than that, you're actually doing something. You're getting engaged, you're getting involved, you're empowering yourself, because that's what we need to do to get out of this. Chris has talked about this incessantly for the last, I don't know how many months, since last spring. You need to use your voice. You need to get involved. You need to become more responsible about what your future is going to look like. And the best way to do that is engage. And it doesn't have to be delivering NOLs, but I can tell you it'd be awesome if you did. Um, it could be connecting with your community, and we've talked about this. Starting up little groups and support groups within your neighborhoods. Talking to people. Go to your neighbors. So what if they think you're a lunatic because you won't take the jab? Have a conversation. And you never know. You could just slip them a little NOL in their mailbox. And they may actually read it. And it may actually get them to think a little bit about what they haven't been wanting to think about. And that's the big deal in the end. Anyway, um, I don't want to bore everybody. I just, I do want to tell you that Jane does, the, the name came up because I, you all know Jane Doe, right? So, and Jane Doe, nobody knows who Jane Doe is. And if you look at your pamphlet, if you grab one, Jane Does doesn't have a face. And that's because she's all of us. She's each and every one of us. You can Photoshop your face onto that and give it to your friends. Um, but she, is, she represents our ability to empower ourselves, take ownership for our decisions, get involved and get connected. She is each and every one of you. And she will give you the easy steps to figure out how to, to make that move forward. So you can go to tbof.ca and you can find very easily printable copies of this brochure if you want to give it out to friends. You will find there now under informed consent, there is an informed consent package now for each province. They've been streamlined. So there's a notice of liability and a doctor's letter. And this doctor's letter is a piece of gold. It was put together by microbiologists, um, epidemiologists, physicians, pharmacists, psychologists. They all came together and they created this doctor to remind the medical profession what their oath is and what their duty is and how they're breaking it. So that's included. We've got an Alberta-specific one, a BC-specific one, Ontario, Quebec is in the works, and the other provinces are coming along. So if you want to send it to a friend who's from another province, let them, just let them know, be patient. They're coming, they will be coming. There's a lot of work going into this, a lot of heart and a lot of love. And on that note, I think there's probably a bunch of other things I was gonna say, but I forgot. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, come and see me if you would like an NOL. I'd like to thank everybody who came out and those who drove really far to come down and hang out with us today. Oh yes, and one last thing. Any of you here who enjoy
enjoyed coming out to Okotoks for the last year where we had Roger Hawkinson was one of our first speakers there. We're starting up some rallies and there will be one tomorrow. So if you want to come, just connect. It's going to be really mellow. We'll have music, bouncy tents, and just a lot of fun and fellowship. So come down. God bless you guys. Keep up the fight. You guys are people acting and I love it. So thank you. Oh, 1 p.m. tomorrow. Thank you. Okotoks Town Square at the clock tower. Where's Okotoks? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to put this back. You can do it. Oh, that was so good. Thank you so, so much, Tommy. Uh, my body, my choice. Unless the government says, no, that's not what we were going to do right now, so we're going to change the rules and then we'll get back to that soon. That's kind of the way it is. So without any further ado, I'm going to pass this over to a guy who uh, just drove down from Edmonton, I believe. I don't know which car he drove down in, but uh, we'll, we'll figure that out amongst ourselves. But no, 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 it's definitely you. His CV is longer than I am tall. Now that doesn't mean a lot, but I'm just telling you, it is. Can you put your hands together for Dr. Roger Hutkinson, please? Hello, Calgary. Hello. I snowshoed further in today than Dominique did. <laughs> Yeah, welcome to winter. It's climate change. It, claim, it changes, doesn't it? Isn't it wonderful? We need to encourage more of this. I'm speaking to the converted here today. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with what you've probably heard me say before. Um, I'm going to update you with some, um, some new uh, information that uh, you might not have heard. But before I get into that, just to re-emphasize what uh, Dominique uh, said to you all, um, one thing, the whole purpose of notices of liability is to intimidate, okay? To put fear into the very people that have put fear into you. Return the favor. Because many of them will not have director's liability. They will not have insurance for being sued. And it's against them personally, not the organization. So you want to have them quake in their friggin' boots because that's what they deserve, having put you all through those terrible decisions. Thank you. Thank you, Dominique. Tremendous work on that, those NOLs. Okay, uh, new stuff. Where could I start? There are four things. Um, the first one is, um, I'm not sure if you follow a guy called Halligan on the, on the list, sir, but he was the first one to collate uh, all the uh, global statistics um, regarding death from the vaccine, the clot shot, rinse my mouth out, and beg your pardon, um, and use that data with the multiplier that's becoming increasingly accepted of 41, that, that was the result of that analysis by Jessica Rose, that brilliant statis Canadian statistician who's living in, in uh, Israel now. And so when you, when you simply use the established government statistics globally, theirs, etc., and you multiply them by 41, 
I hope you're ready for this number because it's conservative for reasons that I'll state in a minute. But the number of deaths estimated globally from the clot shot is 20 million. M, million. 20 million. To put that in perspective, the bird flu vaccine, vaccine was withdrawn after 35, 35 deaths. That's the scale with which people are being killed right now. That's why I'm calling it the big kill. Nothing on this scale has ever happened before, at least in medicine, and as, you'll, as I'll come to, not even in entire medical history. Because when you add in all these other things that I'm going to tell you about, you end up with a number that's not that different from the 40, 40 million who were killed by Mao Zedong that previously got the... If there's one thing you could go away with today, it's that, that number, 20 million minimum and growing daily. Add to that 2 billion, big B, 2 billion adverse reactions globally. I'm talking about life-changing events, strokes, heart attacks, pulmonary emboli, things that stop you from working, from driving, things that incapacitate you for the rest of your life, heart failure, okay, big-time medical stuff. There have been two billion of those events internationally. And as you've heard me say at other rallies, when I've asked people to put their hand up, have you, do you know of anyone who's had one of these events after vaccination, not just a sore arm and a headache? And about a third of the people always put up their hands. It's common knowledge to everyone except the fuckers who are up there sticking it to us. Oh, pardon me. I'm, I'm renowned for having a loose lip and I don't intend to change. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to update you on is the, is the estimate of this carnage. The second thing is the stuff that you might have read recently about the gain, the, the gain of function the gain of function research that was recently um, exposed still going on in Boston and in Winnipeg by the way, right downtown fantastic place to put a level 4 lab anyway, the, the stuff that j just come out of the, um, the, the gain of function research paper in preprint is that this is what they did in essence they took the most virulent form of covid the wuhan version the initial version and they fused that we call it a hybrid they fused it genetically with the version that is the most infectious namely omicron they fused the most dangerous with the most infectious version of COVID. That's what they did. And not only, not only did they do that, but they did that without authorization. Everyone's trying to distance themselves from it, saying, oh, it wasn't gain-of-function research. Oh, we never approved that. Bullshit. They knew exactly what they were doing. And it's going on everywhere. That's just one little example. Another 40 or so labs in the States are doing it. It was going on all over the Ukraine. It's going on in Britain. It's going on in Canada. I can't emphasize enough that one of the biggest lessons that came out of COVID 
wasn't the loss of freedom. You might say the loss of freedom is minor if you're dead. If you're dead, you don't have freedom. Because gain-of-function research could let loose on the world something infinitely worse than COVID. It could make COVID look like a walk in the park. That's what we're facing. It's more existential, that's an overused word, it's more existential a threat to humanity than nuclear war. And they're still doing it for the most ridiculous academic reasons. These academic snots who are looking for bragging rights of having done this and that. And not only that, ladies and gentlemen, but they published how to do it. The recipe was published how to actually create these monsters. And they've not finished. They didn't do that in a level four lab. They did it in a level three lab. Easier to escape. Look, I've run big labs. Never a biosafety lab, but I've run big labs. You can never make a big lab hermetically sealed, no matter how stringent your regulations are on your ventilation and so on and so on. It's utterly impossible. Escapes have happened in Britain, in the States, and certainly in Wuhan. And they can escape for a very simple reason. You have a thing called people working in there. Humans, utterly unreliable, never guaranteed to follow every single dot in the regulations. And they did this stuff, creating this version of COVID, intentionally, in the middle of Boston, in a level three lab. That's called incarceration, in my opinion, and that would be a very generous outcome for them. There's enormous uproar going on in the States. Gain of function could stop everywhere. Next thing, the CDC and uh, the meeting last week, when 15 out of 15 voted to give your children the clock shot, Not needed. Johnny Onides has just calculated that at the very worst, only three in a million children infected with COVID will die. But of those that are injected, one in a hundred will be hospitalized or go to an emergency department. A serious complication. We're killing children, ladies and gentlemen on the high altar of these demigods, these technocrats who don't know their ass from their bloody navel. I can tell you, they're practicing medicine on you. Government is your new doctor. Doctors are being dictated to instead of being allowed to determine what's right for you today in front of you. Gain of function, CDC. And the final thing I want to talk about is cancer. The latest um, revelation in this ridiculous saga in human history is that the CDC has been intentionally and knowingly misclassifying, intentionally classifying people who died of cancer as dying of COVID to hide the reality that cancer is emerging as a result of the clock shot, simply because, as you might have heard me say, 
The clot shot is immunosuppressive at the end of the day. It suppresses your immune system, you might say, in general. That's why people are coming out down with shingles. That's why people are coming down with, with COVID, even though they've been vaccinated. Rinse my mouth out. <laughs> Sorry. The gene therapy. So, you know, th th those, th that story's not yet told, right? Th th they're refusing to tabulate these horrible consequences of, you know, cancers that are aggressive cancers, younger age group, multiple sites, people who've had cancer under relative control, women who've had breast cancer a few years ago, thought they were cured and finally it's coming back. That's because your immune system is constantly surveilling every nook and cranny in your body, every second of your life, knocking off small cancers that would otherwise grow to be symptomatic. That's what your immune system is doing, quite apart from fighting infections. It's one of the most miraculous systems in the human body, and it's doing it 24-7 for 80, 80 years of your lives until it finally wears out. That's what they're messing around with. When you've been vaxxed, you can't be unvaxxed. The latest data shows that the spike protein is still circulating in some people up to 16 months, and that's not the end point. That's just as far as long as they measured it. The Vax protein is a toxic protein that's doing all kinds of damage to your body. So if any of you here, sadly, have succumbed for all kinds of reasons, I'm not criticizing you. God damn it, no. You, you've made your own painful decisions. But don't take another one. It's cumulative. The risk increases exponentially with each subsequent exposure to these so-called boosters. So that's, that's my you might say update on the latest information that you might find of interest. I admire you all for coming out here on this lovely day. And thank you, Roger. Thank you guys for putting this on. By the way, other than uh, these guys and me, who else, who else is in Ottawa here? Stand up, wave your hand. Ottawa? Be recognized. Here we go. We salute you. We salute you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, Rogers. Uh, did I say Rogers? I did. Well, no. no, don't thank Rogers. Do not thank Rogers. No, no. They're going to shut us down on the cell phone and all that. Thank you, Roger Hodkinson. Not Roger Hodgkinson, which I hear all the time. He doesn't play for Super Trap. Sorry. He's just an amazing, amazing doctor, pathologist. Absolutely. Um, just a, as a quick question, uh, how many people here know of someone that has been vaccine injured? Pretty much everybody here. Well, except for you guys, and that's okay. I'm not judging. How about anybody that's been vaccine, uh, I'm going to say deceased? That is a sad stat. Absolutely a sad stat. Uh, close friends of ours have. Um, and like Roger was saying about the suicide, I actually lost track of how many people that I know of. And I don't even want to think about it because I get quite emotional, and Chris knows I don't like getting emotional. 
But I did want to point out something that there is a uh, group coming here. It's the VaxJustice.org. I don't know if anybody's received this. But they will be here next Wednesday at the Riviera Hotel. Uh, um, Wednesday, October 26th at 7 o'clock. And what they're asking is for people to come out and share their stories. Vaccine injuries or anything. Um, you may know that there was a... Uh, a Facebook page called, I believe it was called Died Suddenly, or originally what it was. It had over 300,000 members and then it just disappeared. It's back. It's back. And it's I think it's, it is called Died Suddenly now. And uh, the... Silent Survivor. But the funny thing about, well, funny. Funny thing about the Died Suddenly is the backup account looks like Tiago's dating site. I think that's what it's called. Dating tips. Yeah absolutely amazing but it, you know that that's great because that backs up everything so if they do shut it down it's right there and then he'll probably just back it up and change the name and then we're good to go so that's that was brilliant absolutely brilliant so uh i know everybody's cold and uh and so is my heart no, I'm kidding. but i'm gonna get uh mr chris scott to come up here i think uh, i don't know if you know but he's the chris in the chris and carrie show so yeah you get the tall mic because uh yeah I don't know what you want to talk about today. I'll let you ramble for a few minutes because I've been on the mic for a bit. Sing a duet. Whistle Stop has the best banana. Sing. Sing a duet. Is it on? Whistle Stop has the best banana. Is it on now? Is it on now? Can you hear it? Check one, check two. She's going to check. Distortion. I think Carrie gave me a dead <laughs> mic on purpose because he just like, oh, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, I was off Let's on a little conspiracy rant there. Well, uh, good afternoon and thanks everyone for coming out in this uh, extreme weather we're having right now. It feels extreme after the last few weeks. It's been a beautiful fall, but I actually kind of welcome the snow because we should be welcoming change when it arrives, right? I had an idea of what I wanted to talk about, which is very rare. Normally I just kind of wing it and and I speak what's on my mind. But after hearing Roger talking, I can't do it because then I'll be tasting it. <laughs> after hearing Roger talking, my heart is actually kind of heavy. Because these last few weeks I've been under the impression that maybe we're making some headway. People are starting to wake up. We're going to see some changes. People are pushing back against this. They're opening their eyes. They're starting to realize that we've been fooled. And now I find out that they're continuing to do the same things they've always been doing. They're making it worse. Oh, my goodness. I was very encouraged to hear some of the things that our new premier has been saying about how the unvaccinated have been discriminated against, which is true about how we cannot lock people down and violate their charter rights over the, these types of things anymore. I was happy to hear that, amongst other things. And then I read our Minister of Health, Jason Copping, talking about maybe it's necessary for more lockdowns and restrictions again. And it's the same, same Jason Copping from the previous. It's the same Jason Coppin. Even though she should have actually done a brand new caucus, right? Yeah, and I understand that when you're transitioning and you're trying to get things done, you can't change everything at once because you'll just, you, you can't get anywhere. I get that. But in this situation, what, what does this mean for us? 
What does it mean for us that they're talking about lockdowns again and they're still pushing the vax? And organizations like the CDC are saying that yes, we're going to put this in children so that the CDC and doctors are protected. What do we do? What have we been doing that's made things start to change? We've been standing up and speaking out and getting involved and it's been working. Things are changing a little bit, a little bit. Now it may turn out that things don't turn out the way that we want them to, the way we envision uh, a, a proper future for Alberta. We might not win. That's the truth, is it not? It's a scary truth, but it's the truth. But so, go down swinging. Yes, go down swinging. I, I, we won't be going down. That's my yeah, point. That's true too. That's go down swinging. The other thing that we, the other thing that we've done by by gathering and using our voices and peacefully assembling for political purpose in order to make change is we've started to build new communities, new groups of friends who we know we can count on. So I want you all to keep that in the back of your mind in the in the months and the weeks going forward as things change to the point where some of you will split off from the others. Some of you will go down one path, some of you will go down another, another because you feel that's the right path for you. But you need to remember that this group of people who's been here this entire time standing together, these are the people that you're going to have to rely on should we fail to do what we want to do. That is critically important. And I've been seeing this a lot lately is that as conservative-minded individuals, we're generally so conservative and so independent that if our friend disagrees with us a little bit, all of a sudden we can't work with them anymore, even though our goal's the same. And that's going to be our downfall if we can't stop doing that. There will come a time when the people who are your friends, who are you're standing with right now, might have a differing opinion. And if we don't realize that it's up to each one of us to look inside ourselves and adjust something within ourselves that allows us to agree or disagree or agree to disagree with our friends, we're going to be in a very bad situation because the things that have happened over the last two and a half years have not stopped. The mechanisms they've had to do this to us have not stopped. As a matter of fact, they've gotten worse. The disease apparently is worse, which means that the restrictions will probably be worse. The impact on our lives will probably be, be worse. And if we're not ready for this, as a group who is united at the very least around the truth that we are all free individuals, we are all free human beings, our rights are given to us by God, not by the government, if we can't unite around that idea and agree to disagree on everything else, we're doomed. Woo to doomed? Wow. I'm just kidding. So that's my kind of dark message today. Um, but I hope that you can at least see some hope there. I hope that, that that gets you thinking a little bit, maybe about some friends that you had in the past who you're no longer talking to because they believe something different than you. I see lots of people here today that believe in things that are completely out of my scope of reality, but I'm still here because I believe that we should all be free to express ourselves as we see fit and take our own path to prosperity or failure. That's part of freedom, the freedom to fail, right? That's what I believe in. And, 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 and just wait, over the next couple weeks, you're gonna see things in the news, you're gonna see people saying things, and it is going to cause divides in our group.
It will. But it's up to us as individuals to determine the outcome of that. Are we going to let it pull us apart? Are we going to let that strengthen our resolve to get to a place where we can be free to disagree? That's our choice. Sorry, I think I hogged the mic. No, Did you have something to say? Good, of course I've got something to say. So I know people are, oh, you got two minutes? You want something? Come on up here, Roger. Give it up to Roger Hodgson, who, who, plays, who plays saxophones in uh, Supergroup. I want to add something to what Chris Scott just said. As likely as not, for whatever reason, maybe not in Alberta, but certainly nationally and internationally, it is going to get worse. All right? They've been emboldened that they can suppress the, the population and trample on you. Unfortunately, in war, which is what we're in, there's a thing called collateral damage. People that you didn't want to lose have been lost in the greater cause that we're all about. That will include children and loved ones that have died. Napoleon, you might have heard me say a quote from Napoleon, never stop your enemy from screwing up, it makes him easier to beat. I tell you, it is going to get worse, and that, I hope, with those numbers that I was giving you, is going to sensitize a lot more people to what's going on and feed into that independence movement that you've heard Dennis Modrey speak so eloquently about for the Alberta Prosperity Project. That, I believe, at the end of the day, is the hope that comes out of, hope, out of COVID. All enormous collateral damage, tremendous pain, physical, emotional, financial. But if we can see a way towards independence as a result of all of this, educating the great unwashed out there, not stupid, but the ones that have been kept ignorant. If we can morph this into independence, what a glorious end to that trucker's convoy this would be. That thing that happened on a tarmac in Atchison. Three cheers for the truckers, I say. <laughs> because the future of an independent Republic of Alberta is intoxicating, free, prosperous, happy. Those wonderful characteristics that we all assumed were the integral features of democracy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's there for the taking. It's there for the taking. And we just have to encourage the rest of the population to take part in that referendum and browbeat the unfortunate Premier to negotiate with Ottawa unsuccessfully and then declare independence. So have hope, have hope. It is going to get worse, but it's going to get better before the end of the day. And we will be an independent republic, and we will be prosperous, and we will be free. Thank you, Roger. When, uh, of course, when we got back from uh, Ottawa, we ended up uh, doing some sort of a Chris and Carrie show, and that's kind of how we ended up being here. Well, we started that in Ottawa. Did we? Yeah, we did. And it's amazing how many people we've actually talked to even since then, and even before, like thousands and thousands. I've easily talked to hundreds and hundreds of business owners 
And one of the common things that they say now is that if and when we go into a next lockdown, we are going to stay open. That's what they say. But there's always a little asterisk. That's what they say. But let's hope that they actually do stay open with whatever does come around. Because had we done that in the first place, we certainly wouldn't be here right now, would we? You know, one of the most common things I hear, questions I hear, is which one of you is Bob and which one of you is Doug? I get that a lot. Who drinks more? Uh, ah, <laughs> no, the, one of the most common things I hear from business owners is, oh yeah, I, you know, I really was behind what you were doing. We were letting people in the back door of our restaurant. We were just weren't advertising it. <laughs> Come on. That was brilliant. We should have done that. Yeah, if only. If only I'd been, uh, you know, doing something Silent wrong and had to hide it. But since I wasn't doing anything wrong, I figured, let's let the world see what we're doing. So yeah, the, the, the Chris and Gary show. Who would have thought that two beer-drinking Albertans who really have not ever been in the public eye much, except for Carrie, he's a movie star, like a real live movie star. Who would have ever thought that not people anymore. would run up to us in the parking lot and say, oh my goodness, were you on the Chris and Carrie show? They call me Carrie all the time. They never call him Chris because, actually, they do call you Chris. Actually, what do they say about me the first time they see me? What do they say? I thought you'd be taller. <laughs> true story, true story. Yeah, it's true. So what, what this little show has become is just a... Uh, it's just a tagline for an opportunity that Carrie and I have, not very often these days, to sit down and talk about things that we're seeing and kind of try and process it. And that's a great way to process it is by bouncing the information off each other because we have one brain between the two of us, so that, that makes it much easier to process the information. And I'm sure you all know what we're talking about, right? You have a conversation with your friends, you meet for coffee, and you, you figure things out because we're stronger together. Not just stronger politically, but we're also stronger with our uh, ability to process information. So next time the government tells you that you can't gather with your friends, I want you to think about that. How does it feel to be sitting at home alone trying to process all this and have nobody to bounce information off of? Yeah, doesn't work very good, does it? And if Carrie and I can do it, anybody can. Anybody, absolutely anybody. And you know, I, I've even thought about... COVID has actually been a good thing in the fact that we've actually got to know everybody here, right? There's no way we, we would have had cross lines. And we, we, there's no way that would have happened. I would have been stuck with my own group. I was actually going to come out today and immediately start talking about the weather and the flames and entertainment. What did you watch on Netflix last night? Because wasn't that our conversation just like three years ago? There's still a Netflix? I don't even know. I don't watch it. Jeffrey Dahmer. That's all I know. I don't even know what that means. But but otherwise, I, yeah, I have not even turned on a TV. I don't even know what CBC and Global and all that are even showing, because... Well, I know what they're showing. Yeah. They're showing a lot of lies. In my drive up to Edmonton, I went up to the UCP AGM. I snuck in. <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> because I want to talk to some people, right? We're listening to the radio, and I hear on the radio, somebody has paid for an ad. I'm sure it probably was our own, very own, beloved Rachel Notley. Um, there was an ad on the radio, and it basically said... We're going to give you a list, a comprehensive list of everything sovereignty in Alberta has to offer you. And then there was some crickets chirping because that's what those people eat is crickets. And they said, that's the entire list. Sovereignty will offer you nothing. 
Authority over yourselves will offer you nothing. Daniel Smith and her team are full of empty promises and blah, 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 blah. They wow. lies upon lies upon lies upon lies. Now, I don't agree with everything Danielle says. I don't agree with her position on everything. But I do agree with her position that the WF has no, no WEF has no place in Alberta. Like I said earlier, when we see change, we shouldn't be scared of it. Especially if it's changes we want, we should embrace it, right? Right now, we have some folks who are trying to do some things that maybe we think they can't do but they're trying and they're saying the right things so maybe we could be cautiously optimistic but remain a little bit guarded and attentive i think that's that's my path i'm going to be back up there today talking to some folks and finding out if they actually mean what they say because wouldn't that be wonderful if we had a government in alberta who said no to all this, who said no to globalism and didn't just tell us, what, you think the WEF is coming for you? You're drinking too much coffee, right? That's the response we've got over the last couple of years. Uh, there's no such thing as a digital ID or anything like no that. No such thing. What's a passport? passport? I don't even know what that is, and it sounds illegal. It's a restrictions exemption program. Yes, this is the greatest summer ever. We're open for summer, open for good. I give you my word. September 20th. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we've experienced over the last two and a half years. And it's left us all very disillusioned with government and very guarded, has it not? So, I would encourage everybody to really pay attention to what's going on. And when you hear these folks say these things they want to do, like for instance, kicking the WEF out of Alberta, which AHS is heavily involved with uh, them and the WHO, right? Yes, that's right. So that's interesting. Support the idea and hold their feet to the fire. It doesn't mean you have to set aside your principles and agree with everything, but you can at least agree on that one thing, that Alberta will not bend to a globalist agenda that tells us we're useless eaters and we need to freeze and starve in the dark. No! That is, that is something that it is going to take every type of person, from the right, from the left, whatever else there is, up, it's down. not, this isn't something we can win just by uniting with our conservative friends and neighbors. We also have to find some way to find some common ground with the folks on the other side of the political spectrum who also don't want to freeze and starve in the dark. This, this foe that we're fighting is not Jason Kenney, it never was. I realized our foe wasn't Jason Kenney when we were in Ottawa and all of a sudden he started to change his policy because he decided that the polls supported it. It wasn't Jason Kenney, it was us the whole time. We failed in our duty to hold our politicians to account, hold their feet to the fire and use our voices, be loud enough so that they knew the direction they had to go to get our support. We didn't do that. When we started doing it, it worked and it'll continue working. So if we're fighting something as huge and nefarious as trillions of dollars and global elite who, who actually have most of the money and power in the world, it's going to take a lot more than just uniting the right. Yeah. It's going to take a lot more than just a conservative movement. It's going to take a revolution. A revolution in the way we think about each other, a revolution in the way we interact with each other. It means we can no longer call each other, I don't know what they call conservatives, racist? 
That's what they say. We can no longer call each other racist when we disagree with something. We can no longer call our friends who believe in, in socialist ideas libtards. We have to find common ground because what we're fighting is bigger than anything we've ever fought before. Right? Absolutely. Or is it all just a conspiracy theory? It's all just all you have to wait is a couple of months and then that conspiracy theory comes true. So Well most of those things were just conspiracy theories, right? Like the, the universal vaccines and the the damage from the vaccines, that was all a conspiracy theory. The Vax Pass was a conspiracy theory. Lockdowns were a conspiracy theory. Yes. COVID hotels were a conspiracy theory. Were they not? Oh, yeah. Travel restrictions, that was a conspiracy theory. They would never do that. We have mobility rights in Canada. All <laughs> conspiracy theories, right? What else do we think is a conspiracy theory these days that we're going to find out is true next week? <laughs> Feedback, that's a conspiracy theory. Are you really who you say you are? No, I'm an imposter. I'm actually Russian, so I'm a Russian agent. <laughs> yeah. You, you did mention uh, that... I'm always Russian because I'm late. You mentioned uh, Jason Kenny and being the foe, which reminds me of foe, and I'm hungry. So I I'm think starving. We, we could wrap up, I think, here. We are doing a walk. Are we not doing a march here of some sort? Ask Anna. Anna hey, before we, uh, before, we, we, before we wrap up, <laughs> yes. I got one more thing to talk about. One more thing. Almost every person here has heard a story of a vaccine injury, correct? Yeah. yeah. Have any of you heard what Carrie and I are involved in now with regards to that? You need so to tell us. We're part of an organization called WS Full Steam Ahead. And the reason that organization was formed was to advocate for those who have been affected by the vaccine mandates. Pretty much, to sum it up. And what we realized over the last few months was that one of the major um, impacts on people is actually injury and death. So what we did is we actually not we, somebody reached out to us and they cut me a very, very large check and they said, Chris, I'm too old to fight. He's passed now. He had stage four cancer when I met him. I didn't know that. But he said, I'm too old to fight. You fight and fight with this. So what we've done is we have used that to help fund a class action lawsuit that Leighton Gray is filing against Pfizer for vaccine injury and vaccine death. So part of Carrie and I's job, mostly Carrie, over the next little while is to start getting information about this on our website, WS Full Steam Ahead. We're going to use that platform and that uh, nonprofit as a way to uh, raise funds to help fund this, uh, also to to build the, the plaintiff, uh, what do you call it, the list of people, share information so that people know, hey, I was injured by this vaccine and I want to do something about it. Where do I go? Well, we're going to tell them where to go and we're going to support them in their pursuit for remedy for something that the government has pushed on them that they never should have. Are you done? Dominique wants to talk. No, I don't want to interrupt him. No, that's totally fine. Am I done? Yeah, I think you're done because I want some folk. Do you want some Oh yeah, sure, one more thing. So I, I, I'm not going to tell you all what to do, but November 4th, I will be traveling down to Lethbridge. Yes, we will. Yeah. I'm going to go visit the courthouse in Lethbridge at 8.30. No, it's at 9. Well, it's the court proceedings at 9, but yeah, we'll what be court there. court proceedings? I'm just going to the park. Oh yeah, there's, there's, yeah, don't go there. It's not a protest or anything either. 
I will be in Lethbridge in front of the courthouse early in the morning to support my friends who are being persecuted by the government that wants to make them political prisoners, in addition to the political prisoners that are also in jail right now. So the, and I would, yeah. the four guys from Coots, just so everybody understands it, they're in jail under federal criminal charges. Yep. And the other three are going to the Lethbridge Courthouse to be imprisoned, in theory, from a provincial uh, criminal setup. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see 5,000 people outside that Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely amazing. 100,000. I'd love to see 100,000. I absolutely would. But, I mean, 5,000 is going to make an impact. Don't, need, don't think that because your numbers of your group are small that you can't make an impact. I mean, Kerry's four foot six or something, something like that, <laughs> and yeah he, he's had made a huge impact on alberta thank you Yay, You're welcome. thank you Thank you. Yay, all right, now, now I think we're done. Yeah, I'm now we're, when you're done, now you're hungry. Okay, I can I'll smell myself around. withering away to nothing. Okay, well, I don't want to smell you yourself at all. So there you go. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, wait, quick, quick. Um, time where, say it again, uh, for the political prisoners here. November 4th, in Lethbridge at the courthouse. In Lethbridge. It's where the courthouse is. In Lethbridge. It comes up on Google Maps, trust me, that's why I got there. <laughs> November 4th, be there at 8.30, okay? I think it starts at 9, be there early, like I am every time, and you won't miss it. Chris is always early. Thank you so much, Chris and Carrie.